chapter seven of finding a way out an autobiography by robert r moton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven black white and red on a saturday night just before the close of school general armstrong invited the senior boys to spend an evening at his home he told some fascinating stories of his war experiences with negro soldiers the ninth u s colored troops which he recruited and commanded at the battle of gettysburg he showed us his uniform with a colonel's shoulder straps which his mother had just sent on to him from california together with his sword he told with frankness of the weaknesses which he had observed in negro soldiers and of their strong points as well but he showed clearly though apparently unconsciously what wonderful growth these men made under kind yet positive discipline we had a most interesting and instructive evening as the party was leaving he asked me to remain for a few moments saying that he wished to speak with me i supposed of course that he wished me to do some errand for him but to my great surprise he began by asking what my plans were for the future i told him something of what had been on my mind with regard to the school plan for cumberland county and my desire to help those people who had been so responsive to and appreciative of my year's work and who were very desirous of having me return for throughout the year i had been receiving letters from committees as well as individuals urging me to come back he commended the scheme and pointed out very clearly how it could be done what a good thing it would be how we could work in cooperation with hampton and bring students to a certain degree of academic as well as industrial development fitting them for entrance into the junior class at hampton he thought without examination he also pointed out many essential details which i had overlooked while in a general way he heartily approved of the plan he nevertheless strongly advised against my undertaking it for at least a year he did not hesitate to tell me that i needed more experience and suggested that i could be very much more useful to my race and would conduct my school in a very much more satisfactory way if i would remain at hampton for the present and help in the training of teachers for the large number of public schools that were being opened up throughout virginia and the south he would accept no decision at that time in fact he did not give me much chance to say anything he simply took for granted what i would do and how i should do it you can think this over he said and let me know if there is any reason why you should not take up your duties at the close of school as assistant to mr freeland the commandant of the school cadets i took general armstrong's suggestion and accepted work at hampton as assistant to the commandant but decided not to enter upon my duties until the opening of school i therefore again secured work through mr robert c ogden then in the john wanamaker store at philadelphia in the meantime it seemed advisable 
that mr freeland the commandant should go out through the indian country and select indian students for hampton this custom having obtained ever since captain now general robert h pratt brought on the first party of indians in eighteen seventy eight it was captain pratt who after serving for a short time at hampton with the indians founded the famous carlisle school over which he successfully presided for many years mr freeland's absence made it desirable for me to begin work at hampton in the summer as acting commandant in charge of the three hundred or more negro and indian boys mr ogden readily released me from my engagement saying that he always doubted the wisdom of the hampton graduates coming north so soon after graduation for fear the fascination of northern city life would incline them to remain and congratulated me that i had escaped the distemptation i took up quarters in the wigwam the building in which the indian boys were housed general armstrong used to call the person who lived in the building the house father it so happened also that one of the teachers who had been engaged to teach in the indian school for the summer was obliged to resign her position because of illness so i was asked to fill her place while i had during my four years been in more or less intimate contact with indian students on the parade ground in classroom dining-room and elsewhere and had some very intimate friends among the young men i had never before taught indian pupils neither had i gotten a very clear insight into the indian's attitude and viewpoint on matters in general i learned for the first time how different it was from my own i was surprised to find how hard it was for many indians to adapt themselves to the customs of the white man for they thought the old way their way better and in many cases gave very good reasons to support their view their opinion for example about the white man's religion was that he preached one thing and frequently practised another that he preached human brotherhood for instance while very few whites so far as the indians could observe actually practised human brotherhood this thought was firmly fixed in the minds of many of them this was a new experience for a negro for while many of us shared this view about the inconsistencies of the white man and how far he was from actually practising his religion we had nevertheless adapted ourselves to the white man's ways and had consciously or unconsciously and sometimes anxiously absorbed the white man's civilization the nearer we came to it it seemed the happier we were i learned for the first time that other peoples than the negro had problems and race feelings and prejudices and learned to sympathize with another race one too that was more nearly on a plane with my own and whose difficulties and handicaps seemed much greater than those of my own race living in the building with the indian boys and being in their prayer meetings and often acting as pitcher on their baseball team along with contact in the sunday school and in the day school classes of boys and girls all gave me occasion to study more or less minutely the indian character especially by way of contrast with the negro i had taught sunday school at intervals during my entire school career in one of the neighboring colored schools and i remember with what enthusiasm my immature biblical interpretations were received by the pupils and how comparatively easy it was to drive home a bible lesson from everyday life not so with the indians however 
they agreed that the point was well taken but frequently i would find some pupil raising his hand sometimes a girl who i thought was paying no attention to what was going on and she would ask why christian white people had cheated the indians such interruptions of course frequently took all of the wind out of my untrimmed sails in this connection i remember that general nelson a miles then major-general of the united states army on an official inspection of fortress monroe sent up to say that he would inspect the cadets at hampton on sunday morning during this inspection as the adjutant read the orders for the day general miles heard the name of paul natchez and asked if natchez came from fort sill and if he had been at mount vernon barracks he was told that he had the general then said this is the son of the old chief natchez whom i am sorry to relate i was obliged to kill because of his persistent treachery he asked how the boy was getting along and expressed a desire to see him before he left the grounds we then marched into the chapel and instead of the usual sunday morning sermon general miles delivered a most helpful address i had given orders to have natchez remain after church and speak to me which he did i brought him up to general miles with all of the deference due to the general's position accompanied as he was by a large retinue of army officers and many prominent civilians as well as several naval officers there being at that time some war vessels anchored in hampton roads i presented paul to general miles extending his hand he greeted this boy of about seventeen years of age very cordially unusually so for the ranking general of the united states army and in the presence too of a number of his subordinate officers paul looked him straight in the eye did not salute and refused to shake hands i thought he had not observed the general's extended hand and in a whisper i said the general wants to shake hands with you but in typical indian fashion he said know it general miles who had won his fame as an indian fighter and who always observed every movement about him turned to me and said never mind major he is an indian he will not shake hands the general lectured him in a very kindly way on his stubbornness telling him that his father might have been of great service to his race but for his indomitable and unconquerable stubbornness which undoubtedly paul had inherited i was very much humiliated so was dr frissell i think general miles was the only person present who was not i made up my mind to punish this young man very severely and evidently general miles knew it though i said nothing after i had dismissed paul the general turned to me and said do not punish him he inherits that spirit it can never be gotten out of him as soon as i had an opportunity i called paul in when he walked into the office he said i ready go guard house i stay there a thousand years never shake hands with him he killed my father he broke down and wept and through tears he murmured he killed my father i never shake hands with him i never speak to him my duties included among other things clerical work in the commandant's office supervision of the drills 
and instruction of the battalion in military tactics mr freeland the commandant was a man of remarkable ability and very methodical i admired the ease and dispatch with which he could turn off the immense amount of work that was his and the way in which he never permitted things to drag i have always been grateful for my experience under him as a matter of fact my plans and methods of work during the twenty-five years that i served as commandant and executive officer at hampton institute were strongly influenced by the experience which i received during this year's contact with mr freeland during that same year when i was travelling with the hampton quartet as a singer and speaker while en route between albany and boston general armstrong took the opportunity to ask me many rather interesting and searching questions i had been acting as assistant disciplinarian under mr freeland i did not know whether my work had been satisfactory or not the general among other things asked whether i thought with a year's experience if left entirely alone with the discipline i could handle the situation at the school he wanted to know if i had the organization of the battalion clearly in my mind and if i could handle it successfully he asked me many questions about the school in general what my attitude was if i had noticed any differences between the races the white the colored and the indian if i had noticed any difference between the northern white man and the southern white man he finally ended more or less abruptly by saying i want you to familiarize yourself very thoroughly with all phases of the work of the school not only with reference to the disciplines of the young men but everything else that has to do with the work i was very much disturbed because from the tone of his remarks i was rather inclined to feel that i had failed in my work we went on to boston where we spent many days holding meetings in the interest of hampton's work on my return to the school a few weeks later i went directly to mr frissell the chaplain and did what every one in the school usually did teachers and students alike when in trouble i asked him what general armstrong had in his mind i told him that i had been much disturbed by the questions which the general had asked me he assured me that i had no need to be disturbed that my year had been satisfactory and that the general as well as others was very much pleased so much so that he had in mind asking me to assume charge of the department of discipline and military instruction of the institute mr freeland had resigned and general armstrong had made up his mind to place a colored man for the first time in this very responsible position he said that it was believed by many that negro students would not respond to authority from one of their own number but that booker washington's success at tuskegee institute and the very satisfactory way in which i had handled some delicate situations during the year between the teachers and the students as well as between negroes and indians had convinced the general as well as himself that there would be much less trouble and friction in the school if i were placed in charge of the discipline i confess this was a very great surprise to me instead of appealing to my pride it almost frightened me that i should for a minute have been considered for such a position on the other hand it was not my intention to remain at hampton for more than two years my idea was to get the larger experience which general armstrong had suggested in the conversation at his house the year before and then go into some pioneer work 
among my people the truth is i had never given up the idea of starting the school in cumberland county and was also interested still in the study of law mr frissell remarked to me in the same conversation that i seemed to be disturbed by the suggestion that had been made and that the idea of remaining at hampton and i reminded him that as he knew i had always had in my mind going into some work in the rural districts and that he and general armstrong had told me that i could be of larger service by remaining at hampton for a while and helping general armstrong and himself to fit students for just the kind of work that i had in mind to do one morning some days later i marched the boys into school and went to the office somewhat troubled because it seemed to me the boys had drilled worse that morning than usual i had put them through the setting up exercises and the whole thing was most ragged and unsatisfactory i was just making up my mind to take the whole group for what was called extra drill in the afternoon after school taking their pay play time to see if i could not by some possibility lick them into better shape i noticed that morning that general armstrong and mr frissell had been walking up and down the road facing the parade ground apparently oblivious to what was going on nevertheless i was anxious that the boys should make a good showing or at least do ordinarily well general armstrong walked over toward me and without any preliminary remark said i want you to take the responsibility of the discipline next year mr freeland he said had resigned and would probably be made chaplain in the united states army he went on in his characteristic way telling what he wanted me to do what improvements he thought ought to be made and what results we ought to accomplish i tried several times to interject a question or two but without success he paid no attention whatever to my questions he simply assumed that i would do it finally i got a word in with mr frissell's help to the effect that i had not planned to remain at hampton and about what i had looked forward to doing he asked me why i wanted to go into pioneer work and i told him i thought i could best help my people that way he said you want to be of the largest service to your race do you not and i assured him that i did then he said hampton is the place mr freeland will be leaving in a few weeks in the meantime i want you to get all matters thoroughly in your own hands i finally agreed to take the work for two years that was in may of eighteen ninety one i entered upon my duties with full responsibility in june of the same year and remained at the institute during the summer i took up my new responsibilities with considerable reluctance mainly because of the many elements that entered into it there were many temperaments races and conditions that had to be dealt with there were northern white people and there were southern white people on the hampton staff there were also colored people and in the student body there were young people from the north and from the south the majority of course from the south there were one hundred and fifty members of the indian race representing perhaps a score of different tribes and frequently the tribal differences were as great and developed stronger feelings than racial differences there were other nationalities represented in the student body besides the negro and indian chinese japanese africans armenians hawaiians and others so i entered upon the work with many misgivings as to the chances of success i knew something of the difficulties that mr curtis and mr freeland had had to face in adjusting these very delicate relations 
and consequently was surprised to find later on that the work while exacting was not so difficult as i had thought i had from the beginning it would appear the cordial goodwill and hearty cooperation and help of almost every one from general armstrong to the humblest student in the following november general armstrong while in the midst of an address near boston was stricken with paralysis from which he never wholly recovered remaining an invalid for about two years thereafter but entering more or less actively into the school's affairs though it was necessary for him to be moved about in a wheelchair during this period mr frissell performed the more active duties of principal i learned during these years to know general armstrong very much better than ever before i had previously been with him much in the north and had observed many things about him that had struck me as unusual it was difficult to understand how a man who was always as busy as he and who lived under such continuous pressure could be always solicitous for the comfort of the young men who were with him negroes and indians for there was usually at least one indian in the party he looked personally into our quarters to see whether they were comfortable or not he did the same with respect to our meals as well as other matters affecting our welfare frequently it happened at railroad stations when it was necessary to hire a hack for ourselves or wagon to carry luggage that he picked out the man who had the poorest horse and the most dilapidated vehicle one day when mr william h daggs who generally managed our party questioned the wisdom of our piling into a hack which looked as if it would break down at any minute the general remarked that he always selected the poorest horse and hack because it was evident that this man needed the money more than the others he added jokingly that this might not always hold for the reason that sometimes the evidences of poverty on the part of the hackman might be due to his own prodigality one day in may eighteen ninety three when he was very ill he sent for me to come over to the mansion house but this was against the doctor's orders so mrs armstrong and i agreed that it was wiser for me not to see him but he insisted upon my coming and finally she thought that perhaps it was better that i should see him he remarked that he wanted to see me because he had noticed latterly that students in passing his home to and from their meals had been much quieter than previously during his confinement to the house he had enjoyed the hearty laughter of the young men as they passed and their singing of plantation melodies and other songs he asked me the very direct question if i had given orders that they should be more quiet because of his illness there was no way to evade the question so i had to admit that such an order had been given with some emphasis he said that he did not wish to have his illness affect in any way the school's activities that he did not wish to have any change made even in the event of his death i want he said even at my funeral that everything should be as simple as possible and that the school should be interrupted for as little time as possible and then he further suggested that i should arrange with mr frissell's approval to have some kind of concert or pleasant entertainment or something to relieve the depression which he was afraid his illness was causing this was in the early morning in the middle of the afternoon of the same day he sent for me again to know what arrangements i had made i understood general armstrong well enough to know that if he suggested anything even though he might say there was no hurry about it in a very few hours he would either come into your office or call you into his and ask if you had done it 
so i never put off carrying out any suggestion or request or order that he gave so when he called me over to the house to know what had been done i told him we had arranged for a baseball game the following afternoon with the dining-room men of the hygeia hotel this game as it was played by the waiters always brought up a great many guests also from the old point comfort officers as well as soldiers the general was very much pleased with this arrangement and requested that it should be an afternoon holiday for teachers as well as students and that everything should be shut down i could not understand how a man who was desperately ill and of whom we were expecting every minute to hear that the end had come could be thinking about such matters and going into the minutest details about all the affairs of the institute especially as they affected the life of the students also there were certain exceptional boys whom he knew some who were not happy or satisfied about certain matters affecting their course of study and who had been in to see him he wanted to know if these matters had been satisfactorily adjusted the following day the eleventh of may eighteen ninety three the ball game was played it was intensely interesting throughout the afternoon the grounds resounded with the tremendous shouts of the students the playing was good on both sides the cheering was equally loud from the visitors for they for the most part were in sympathy with the waiters rather than with the students in the midst of this tense situation about the seventh inning with the score standing nothing to nothing mr Frissell came down and called me aside and asked me what i thought of stopping the game for general armstrong had just died he knew he said that the general would not want it stopped i told him i felt sure the students would feel embarrassed to know that they had been playing under such circumstances even though general armstrong wished it so and he and i agreed also that we owed something to the sentiment of the community and therefore decided that the game should be stopped general armstrong's death was without doubt the most serious blow that the institute had ever received it was difficult for us to see how the school could exist without its founder general armstrong was a man of great force his personality was so overwhelming that it seemed to me as well as to others wiser than myself no doubt that no one could carry on the work which he had founded and to which he had given the best twenty-five years of his life everybody at hampton loved mr Frissell and had the greatest respect for him he was in the confidence of teachers and students even more so than general armstrong but we seriously doubted whether he could carry forward the work of hampton in fact many felt quite sure that he could not fill general armstrong's place and as i think of it to-day after twenty-six years i am convinced that we were right in feeling that neither mr Frissell nor any one else could be to hampton what general armstrong had been general armstrong had in a real sense completed his work and a remarkable work it was he had given america a new educational idea and developed a new ideal in education he left hampton in such condition that it could not go down and the educational method which he worked out at hampton could not but take a stronger hold on america and the civilized world in a striking way dr Frissell, in the twenty-four years in which he presided at hampton made his work as perfect and complete as did general armstrong but in doing so he filled his own place and that too in a way that would have met general armstrong's approval one would naturally expect it to be irksome and disagreeable to ferret out irregularities punish misdemeanors and settle disputes and that it would 
tend to create unpopularity with the student body especially with those over whom it is necessary to assert authority added to this there was the difficulty of having to deal with indians as well as with members of my own race many of my friends therefore both white and black told me frankly that i might succeed with my own race but that it would not be possible for me to succeed as a disciplinarian with the indians they felt that when questions should arise between the two races as frequently happened it would be difficult for me to settle them for the indians would naturally expect me to be partial to the negroes while the negroes on the other hand would suspect that to escape this criticism i would very likely be partial to the indians as a consequence they thought i would constantly be in a dilemma and would be criticized for what i did as well as for what i did not do i realized when i accepted the work that i would have to face difficulties yet i also felt that if a person did his best and was honest and sympathetic in his dealings with the boys that both negroes and indians would accept his decisions during my twenty-five years in the work at hampton i never had occasion to believe my assumption incorrect to be sure i had to exercise discretion especially when disputes arose between tribes or the two races and i found that it was frequently very much better instead of giving boys demerits for personal differences to take the time to lead them both if possible to see their mistakes and i usually found then as i find now that there are always two sides to a controversy i found that it was usually worth while to take the time to bring them to the point where they would be willing to apologize each to the other in consequence i have always felt that much of the friction between races as well as between nations and individuals is due to misunderstanding that if people would take the time to understand one another and get one another's point of view they would frequently find that things are not so bad as they imagine i had from the beginning a very strong loyal first assistant in my work among the boys a man who as a boy worked with me at the sawmill along with mr palmer and who at the same time was my roommate this was captain allen washington now major allen washington who deserves the utmost credit for his share in any success achieved in the disciplinary work at hampton institute for the quarter of a century during which i was responsible for it people even now wonder and frequently ask how the two races the negro and the indian get along together at hampton the truth of the matter is that at hampton there has never been any serious manifestation of unpleasant relations between the two races there are certain racial characteristics that are unmistakable and the two races are in some particulars as different in temperament as they are in colour types more diverse could hardly have been selected than the two thus brought together at hampton the negro as we have long known is cheerful and buoyant emotional and demonstrative keen of apprehension ambitious persistent responsive to authority and deeply religious in striking contrast stands the indian reserved self-contained self-controlled deliberate in speech and action sensitive distrustful proud and possessed of a deep sense of personal worth and dignity but if the differing characteristics are evident the similarity of the two races in condition and prospects is also striking the negro and the indian have both been retarded in their development alike in economic and social progress they lack equally the helpful influence of heredity that tremendous moral momentum acquired only by centuries of successive and cumulative effort they are both aspiring 
the negro with an earnestness that often outstrips his development the indian with a dawning realization of his needs both still need as do some other races such moral and mental discipline as will fix in them habits of obedience order accuracy application and the many other private virtues the habitual practice of which makes the man the very diversities of the two races under instruction at hampton proved in many respects to be helps rather than hindrances to their development each served in many instances as a daily lesson to the other in the problem and difficulties of life the negro student learned that he did not have a monopoly of the troubles incident to the effort to rise that is is not the only race that faces a struggle in securing the rights and privileges of an advanced civilization the indian student saw the arts and practices of this civilization acquired and adapted by a race whose development corresponded more nearly to his own he caught the inspiration of a manly endeavor and sturdy self-reliance that have characterized the indian graduates of hampton in all their subsequent endeavors among their own people through all my contact of thirty-one years as student and worker at hampton it became increasingly apparent that the ground of racial adjustment lies not in the emphasis of faults and of differences between races but rather in the discovery of likenesses and of virtues which make possible their mutual understanding and cooperation soon after general armstrong's death and dr frissell's election to the principalship he told me that he would like to have me make up my mind to remain permanently at hampton that he thought the position that i occupied especially as affecting the delicate relations which obtained at hampton between the three races as well as between the two sections of the country was of the utmost importance and that he needed my help in carrying out the wishes of the founder regarding hampton's very important work for the negro and indian races even up to this time i had not thoroughly made up my mind to remain at hampton permanently i was much interested in the experience i was receiving through my contact with teachers and students i continued my work along very much the same lines as during general armstrong's life giving more of my time however to the administration of the school's affairs under dr frissell's direction i also devoted more time toward the raising of funds in the north thereby relieving dr frissell and dr h b turner who had succeeded dr frissell as chaplain of the institute in some degree of the burden of raising money necessary to carry on the work of the school after graduating at hampton i felt with many of the other resident graduates that our education was not complete so for several years we did postgraduate work in certain advanced subjects which had not come in our regular course the first few years we paid for this instruction ourselves but later the school officials felt that it was proper for them to provide teachers for this work i also continued my law studies one evening a week under the tutelage of mr f s collier a lawyer in the town of hampton a southern gentleman who not only gave me instruction without pay but allowed me the free use of his law library through the generosity of professor francis g peabody i had the opportunity of attending several sessions of the harvard summer school taking courses in gymnastics english and composition for ten years i have continued my work practically without any let-up except for summer school and northern work and occasional visits among my own people in the south by this time some of my friends among them dr frissell mr robert c ogden and mr arthur curtis james the latter two trustees of hampton institute 
felt that i was very much in need of rest they said i showed signs of fatigue mental and physical which i confess i had not observed finally in the summer of nineteen o one dr frissell told me that whether i wished to go or not he and one of the trustees had arranged for me to take a trip to europe and that this trustee would provide the means adding that he understood that i was looking forward to a trip at some time he gave me a few days to map out the route i would like to cover this whole conversation with dr frissell afterwards seemed almost a dream the idea of actually going to europe and going practically anywhere i wished to go was almost overwhelming i mapped out what i would like to do and the countries that i would like especially to see putting particular emphasis on southern europe because the italian emigration was very large at that time and i was anxious to see another people who were more nearly on the plane of the majority of my own race in america and then too i wanted to see germany and of course france and england dr frissell and the trustee referred to offered many suggestions when they knew exactly what i wished to accomplish accompanied by a friend i sailed from new york in may of the same year after a day at the azores we landed at naples and came up through the principal cities of italy into switzerland and germany belgium and france england and ireland before this i had been inclined to feel discouraged at times about my own race and whatever people might say with reference to the advantages of the negro in this country i somehow felt that he was at the bottom of the scale of development and of opportunities as well but after seeing conditions in southern europe especially among the peasant class my ideas regarding my race changed entirely and i realized for the first time that the negro in america even the most backward negro farmer notwithstanding the unfairness and injustice which confront him lives amidst surroundings much more encouraging and hopeful than is true of certain classes of the white race in europe well there was a striking difference in the physical surroundings and economic opportunities between the southern european peasant and the average negro tenant farmer or renter and while i also found a very striking difference in the wage scale which affects food clothing and home life in general much of the advantage of the southern colored man there was another difference even more striking and that was the fact that the average european to whom i have referred was inclined to be hopeless so far as any improvement in his present condition was concerned few of them moreover had much hope of improvement for their children they themselves were living much as their forefathers had lived and in many cases they had lived for generations in the same house and worked on the same land with no other future before them save a desire on the part of a few of the younger ones to go either to north or south america this was about the only ray of hope they had on the contrary the american negro generally expects that this year's crop will pay him out of debt and that he will at some time in all probability own his farm and house more than that he expects that his children will live better than he lives he looks forward to their becoming educated and owning homes and land and prospering generally to me the most striking difference therefore was a difference in attitude of mind the firm belief of the colored man in the ultimate triumph of right and justice constitutes his largest and most valuable asset what i have said of conditions in europe is true to some extent also of the negro in jamaica while there is an absence there of the outward manifestations of racial antagonism such as frequently obtained in this country and while the difficulties in jamaica according to my observations are due more largely to differences in character rather than in colour 
nevertheless the situation so far as it concerns the negro is in some particulars very much like that of the peasants of southern europe there is this difference however between these countries and our own and that is that the peasant in europe and jamaica has no fear for his life he need not fear the aggression of the lawless element of his community if a crime has been committed he knows that the guilty will be tried by the usual legal process and punished accordingly he knows also that there is no probability of unoffending persons being oppressed and terrorized by any part of the community because of the alleged misconduct of some member of their social or racial group however at the end of this trip i landed on american shores with the feeling that whatever may be the disadvantages and inconveniences of my race in america i would rather be a negro in the united states than anybody else in any other country in the world my subsequent experiences abroad have confirmed me in this conviction End of chapter seven